Hey y'all, I'm Justin Mitchell, and this is Out Here in America. It's a new show from the Sun-Herald in Mississippi, Ann McClatchy. About a year ago, I wrote a piece called I'm Young, I'm Gay, and in Mississippi I'll Stay. You can imagine the kind of response my editors got. Some readers canceled their subscriptions, and others sent hate mail. But countless others thanked me for speaking out. They told me about feeling alienated and sometimes alone in their own small towns. That's what this show is all about, talking with members of the LGBTQ community about their lives in the Deep South. We begin this season with a look back at one of the darkest days the LGBTQ community has ever seen. At least 50 people are dead. At least 53 people are injured after a gunman opened fire at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. At but we also wanted to celebrate the survivors one year later. One man in particular was a hero that night at Pulse. And he's since become the voice for a community there that draws strength from each other and refuses to be frightened back into the shadows. This is Out Here in America. Three hours of terror overnight. A volley of gunshots in the night carnage I went down to Orlando to see the mural where teddy bears and candles sit underneath pictures of victims from that night. I've been to like murder scenes and accident scenes where people have died, but seeing those bullet holes, it's just, it's just a lot. Chris Hansen grew up just across the state line from me in Arkansas. He moved to Orlando two months before that one night last June. I was invited to go out to Pulse and I was excited that I was gonna go. Had you ever been before? Nope, it was my first time there. And I was so excited because he was gonna be my first friend outside of my roommates. I was in a car accident, moving to Orlando. My hand and wrist were sprained. So I was like kind of handicapped. I felt like, what the hell? I didn't get to live the life I wanted to live right away. And he said, um, well, let's go out to Pulse. I was like, okay, yeah, Saturday night. He's like, let's go out Saturday night. I'm like, all right, all right, let's go. This is the police, sir. Very close, folks. You're in Pulse? Okay, sir, are you in the bathroom? Yes. Okay, don't open the door, sir. Stay where you said you hear. He said, he said no, he says not open the door. Do not open the door. Not open the door. And that's when I heard the first three shots. Bow, bow, bow. Did you know where the shots were coming from? They came from my left. So when I looked over after hearing that, because I was like, I felt the vibration in my body. I felt the vibration. I was like, this is weird, because I kind of moved with it, thinking it was the bass of the music. And when I look over, next thing you see is pow, 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 pow. I saw people falling, and I heard screaming, glass shattering. So I went to turn around to run, and when I did, I hit the table that was right there next to me. And when I did, it kind of spun me, and then somebody else hit me, and I fell down in front of the bathrooms. So I continued to make my way out to the patio, and when I do, I'm like, oh, thank God I'm outside. But you hear the pow, 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 pow. It's still getting closer and closer to you. And at this time, you can smell the gunpowder. And you can still hear the screaming inside. It's fresh, and the screams are getting louder. And I'm trying to push, like, I cannot die tonight. 
and I could still hear the gunfire coming closer and the fence just piling up with people trying to push their way out. There was people jump on the table to jump over the patio fence because inside it was dark. I pull my cell phone out of my pocket and turn the power on and tell my dad that there's a shooting because I had 5% on my battery and I shut it off at the front door. So I was going to use that 5% to try to get home on the GPS. And I called my dad to tell him that there was a shooting and that everything's okay. That I'm okay, but there's, de there's people that are dead. There's people that are wounded. I said, it's pretty bad. And then my phone hung up. I thought that was the last time I was going to ever talk to my dad. Because the fire just kept going. Through my whole process of trying to heal, everyone wants me to come home, but I know what home once was. I've known that I was different my whole life. Dad was military, and me and my parents would argue all the time. I couldn't live the life I wanted. If I liked a certain thing, it wasn't meant to be liked. I'll never forget mom yelling, oh my God, if I hear Britney Spears one more time, I'm gonna break that album. I'm like, okay. So I turn up louder and the power goes off in my room because I blocked the door from being opened. <laughs> I did it on purpose. But dad didn't like my being gay, like flamboyant. I don't know. I don't know what I did or how I said or what I, he's like, don't bring your lifestyle to the house. Don't bring any of this. At one point he said, you know, I accept you because you're my son, but I don't have to accept your lover. I don't have to accept everybody else. And he says he didn't say that, but he said it because my twin brothers were 11 years old. And he said, you know, their friends can't come to the house because their parents don't want them around here because you're gay. Well, why? What does me having to be gay have to do with anything with the boys having their friends? They don't have to know I even live here or that I even exist. You know, like, how do they know who I am? Unless you say it. I didn't come out until I was 18. But even after I came out, my dad, I found out later from him drinking a bit too much and trying to party with me and just trying to hang. And he, he, he cried to me, telling me that he should have never bought me the Barbie dolls because he thinks that the Barbie dolls made me gay. I was five, it was for my fifth birthday. And he said, go pick whatever you want, son. And I ran right over to that purple and pink aisle where they had My Little Ponies and Barbie dolls. And I was like, yeah. So I got the Hawaiian Barbie Tropics set, 10 Barbie dolls. I asked for a pony, but he said, ponies or Barbies? I'm like, Barbies. <laughs> when he drunkenly told you that, how did that make you feel? What were you thinking? Uh, I was hurt because I was like, Dad, Dad, no. You really have been carrying this all these years? It's like, no. Those Barbie dolls didn't make me gay. <laughs> you made me gay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Comes from the male gene, right? But I feel like he wanted me to be more of a man instead of a feminine boy. It's like, how can you have a strong gay son? All your peers around you know that your son's flamboyantly gay. Do they pull their kids away from you? Do they allow them to get closer? So he put us in scouts and tried to make it to where we would be able to, to at least be sufficient. 
And um, we made race cars together. We made space shuttle with a rubber band and like, you twist it, clip and a fan and let it go. So he was always there like to participate and, and go with, but if I were to do anything gay, it would be, I couldn't proceed with it. It even went to the point where I had to talk to a Catholic priest to say that I can pray it out of me. So what made you want to get out of Arkansas? Because being an Air Force kid and I went to college on the base because there was a base branch, it was scary because you'd have guys that were really like, oh, oh, they, they look like they'd beat you up. It's like, is this guy going to follow me and chain me up to the car and like get crazy? I have no idea because Arkansas, it can be crazy. I mean, they have a college that's religious based. You can't be gay there. And I had friends that were going to college there and it was devastating for them. And my car has been egged. I've had more girlfriends than I've had boyfriends. I've never had a boyfriend. Why do you think that is? My fear, because at 14, Matthew Shepard was, was seduced, lured out of the bar, abducted, and left to die on a fence post. And to live so close to that fear, I just locked myself up. There's no lifestyle for the LGBT community. Like, they have gay bars and they have this and that, but it, it just doesn't seem as, as thrilling and exciting as Orlando or some big city where you can just go out and see a lot of people. Because I feel like in a small town, everyone knows everybody. So it was the end of March, spring break was just gotten over and it was just before Easter. And I went on a little vacation, took a leave from, um, from the jobs I had and I drove down to Florida. And I was at City Walk. Sun was coming down, the lights were bright, laughter in the air. I just felt, I just felt the love. And I was like, this is where I'm moving. A couple days before Pulse, I felt my whole world was shifting. It was different. I even have footage where the day of that there was a dragonfly on my stair. Hey, Snapchat world. Just got home and this beautiful dragonfly was on my porch. Isn't it just gorgeous? Usually dragonflies just go. Well, this one stayed. You know, signs are given to you throughout life if you just pay attention to them but you have to know what you're looking for to even understand. And Saturday morning, I had lunch with my roommate. I go to Pulse. When I walked in, there was a couple dancing on the dance floor to, to Latin music. And um, I looked at them and was like, I want that kind of love. They look like they're having fun. They had the rings on, I looked, and they were the only two on the dance floor at that time. And I was like, well, that's good that they can come out here and do this. This is nice, so we'll get through this. I met the guy that I was supposed to meet there, and he told me to go around and tour the place and see what it looked like. So I did, because for some reason he didn't want to hang out, I felt like. I felt like he had pushed me off. He said, just look around. After looking around, walking around the area and seeing the bar and checking it out, and there'd be the hip-hop room and checking the patio, and around he's like well now you can just stay here and have fun I have a headache I'm like what 
Do I come to stay? He goes, no, I've been here waiting for you for half an hour. And just for midnight, he leaves. So because he left, I went into the bathroom to wash my hands and to check myself in the mirror and be like, what did I do wrong? But because I did that, that saved my life that night. Because looking around, I had noticed that there weren't windows in the bathroom that you can try to escape out, kind of like if you were on a bad date. I kind of ran through my head like, oh, good thing he left, because if I didn't like it, I couldn't leave. <laughs> and between midnight and two, I had, pro I had four double Jack and Gingers, because I was waiting in front of the bar. There was a gentleman, Warner Spears, next to me. We were trying to talk and communicate, but he's, his, his language is Spanish as well. And so we're trying to talk, and he's trying to understand me. And so I'm like really trying to focus on this conversation to hear what he's saying, because the music's in the background. I've been drinking, waiting for the bartender to come give our drinks. And I was thinking to myself, damn, if only we can communicate a little bit better. I would just tell him how adorable he was. And I got my drink. He got his. I walked across the way to try to sit on the back of the couch. So I wasn't on the couch like us. You weren't in VIP, you were I was, just I was on the outside, the, of, the the outside of VIP the facing outside. the bar. Correct. Okay. I didn't sit on so this. So you rested on the I, back of I the rested couch. on the back to go sit down. But when I did, I saw myself flipping backwards with my brand new drink, wearing my drink, circling down and landing on the floor. That's what I saw. I'm a big boy. I know what yeah. what happens when I go on a bench. I can the bench could just break. You know, it's just one of those moments of being heavy. You know, not everything's built for for a big guy. So when I went to have this in my head, I sank down. I was like, oh, I'm gonna flip. I'm gonna get kicked out for being drunk. So I got up and leaned up against the wall. And as I leaned up against that wall, that's when I heard the first three shots. And I saw people in the bathroom like running in there, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't go into this bathroom. There's no way out. There's no way out. You gotta keep going. You're helpless in there, you're helpless. So I continue to make my way out to the patio and then we make our way out. And it's like, oh, thank God. But when I left and escaped, you go left or right. And when I went out, the person next to me was shot. The gun's still firing inside the bar as I'm outside and running, I go past Dunkin' Donuts. And on the side, between there's Dunkin' Donuts on the side of the bar, here on the sidewalk, I hear the, the fire stop. I'm like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe it's done. And then you hear it again. By this time, I had made my way back around to the front, to the side area, and that's um, where I saw somebody that needed help. And Junior had been shot in the back twice. And when I approached him, his leg was completely soaked of blood. And we lay him down and we lift up his shirt and you can see where the blood had ran down his body. And I'm like, oh my God. And somehow instinctively I took my hat off my head, my bandana, tied it in a knot, put my hat back on and I put the bandana in his bullet hole and I held it there. And there was no help. We were it. We were each other. And the next thing you know, I remember the dispatcher saying that the ambulance are on their way, the police are there. And we're like, they're not here. They're not here. And I'm sitting here, how long am I going to have to hold this bandana? Is this guy going to survive? 
and then ambulance starts to show up. The cops start showing up, and they line up. Th these people come and take him into the stretcher, on the stretcher, into the ambulance. And then I hear this grunt to the right of me, and it's Kalisha on the ground in the grass. And she'd been shot in the arm, and at the time in the back, I didn't know it was in the back. And uh, I was like, hey, let's get her out of the grass. You know, we help put her in my lap, and then you can go on and help whoever, and I'll stay with her. And so I was talking to her while she was in my lap, and she's like falling asleep. I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Where are you from? Ohio. What's your favorite animal? Lion, lion, lion. I just want to go to sleep. No. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, and it's like slow motion, I feel like, because it's taking forever for somebody to get to us. And when the ambulance comes finally, that's when, when uh, I didn't even realize there was blood on my jeans, I don't think, at that time. And um, if I wouldn't have put Kalisha in my lap, she would have bled to death because the bullet hole in her back against my thigh caused, I guess, a suction to where uh, she wouldn't bleed out anymore. And um, it's still pretty, pretty hard, pretty rough on me because they're alive, I know this, but a part of me is broken. The same person that walked in is not the person that ran out. I think for a lot of people in Orlando's LGBT community, whether they be Black or Native American or Cuban or Indian or Mexican, from the people that we've interacted with today, I feel like you're a sense of strength for them. And I think I found strength within myself for the first time when I was in high school during Hurricane Katrina, because I lived where Katrina made landfall. and my entire family who lives on the water lost everything and I remember I was a junior in high school and our first day back to school my English teacher just walked in the door and the first thing she said to me was I know that things are really rough and a lot of you have lost everything many people have died but I just want you guys to take a second and look out this window and look outside and know that things are going to be okay again because the birds are back in the trees and you're here where you belong and from there, that was so powerful to me that I knew I wanted to tell people stories, but I thought that I could do it best at home where I'm from. And that's kind of why I've really been adamant about staying in Mississippi and telling people's stories and telling people's stories from across the South. And that's where I found my strength. So I want to know where you found, where you found your strength after Pulse. I think finding the other survivors and knowing that there's more people that feel like me. I know some people ran, they didn't look back. They didn't get wounded. I know some people that are wounded, they healed, they live like it's their last day. Some people still haven't really found their way yet. And other people, we don't even know their stories because they're so scared. And I feel like I'm brought here and I, maybe I'm here because I need to help them see that it's okay. And maybe as I go through and I find all these people that I can unite them and connect them in one big, in one big happy way. Just like being with these murals that I'm, I'm a part of. 
to be the voice and to help be an outreach to find these survivors, to have them tell their stories so that they can be painted up on a wall for a legacy, being the living legacies. We're the living legacy. Do you realize that you've, you've faced your biggest fear and have overcome it while saving lives? You could have been a Matthew Shepard, but you weren't. And you're part of all this progress in this new mural. Where do you see yourself in a year? Traveling with this mural and spreading the message of hope and love and acceptance and that through any tragedy we can triumph. I'm hoping to find myself and through all of this, I think I will. And there's a meaning behind everything that goes on in my life. There's something that somebody else can see that I can't see. That I can find the right direction to go. With everything that's happened, how do you feel now when your dad calls you on the phone from Arkansas? We're... We don't really argue much anymore on the phone, as you, we were just on the phone, and it's like, this is the type of relationship I've always wanted. One without judging, one without, like, pressure. It feels good to have a conversation that's normal, that's not, we're not arguing or yelling about something crazy, or, it's like I feel God doesn't put things in your path without a reason. And me being the first open the gay in my family, maybe I'm the person who's supposed to show them that we are loving, that we are caring, that it doesn't matter what our heart says who we love, it's that we're still, the, we're still your child, we're still the person you're gonna bring up, we're still this man that's gonna still honor the family with the same name as you. I'm a Hanson. Special thanks to Chris Hansen for sharing his story with us, and to Jessica Kaselniak for producing this interview in Orlando. Thanks to our Out Here in America team, Amanda McCoy, Jordan Marie Smith, and Davin Coburn. And thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. For more stories like these, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite shows. See y'all next week on Out Here in America.